welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. I've been working on, on these two messages in this series for since before the series started. There's some things in here that that I've been looking for opportunity to minister. And I believe that we're there. And to, to give a little perspective to that, I don't just get to stand up here and minister what I want to minister. And I know that most of you understand that precept. But also we need to understand that not, the Lord can't always say to us what he wants to say. Because we're not, we're not there. And if you, if you think that I'm making up my own doctrines in uh, John chapter, I think it's John chapter 20, the Lord said, I have many more things to say to you, but you're not yet ready able to, to hear them. And that was to his intimate 12 disciples after a minimum, a minimum of 15,330 personal hours with them. 15,330 hours at a minimum that Jesus spent with his personal disciples. To put that in perspective, if you're in this room today, and you have been a born-again, committed Christian for 40 years. And you have gone every single Sunday to a good Bible-teaching church for those 40 years. And... You have gone to every Wednesday small group gathering at that good, healthy church for 40 years. And you went to three years of Bible college. I, I, have, I have drastically minimized the room in that. If you did all of that stuff, you have barely 10,000 hours. And Jesus had a minimum, a minimum, I'm being very conservative, of 15,330 hours with his personal disciples. And at the end of his ministry, he said, I have many things to say to you, and you're not ready to hear it. It would be the epitome of arrogance and self-righteousness for anyone in here, myself included, to sit here and think 
that Jesus can tell me anything he wants to anytime he wants to. All of that is to preface the fact that I believe that the Lord gave me a green light for the things that I'm going to minister these next two weeks because we are all there. And I don't know what that does for you, but when, when I was getting the impressions from the Lord that this was where we were going, I was, I was a little bit excited and scared <laughs> with a godly fear of the Lord and also fear of what could potentially happen in the room because if you don't receive it, it could have, a, it could have the opposite effect. And I value maybe greater than most everything in my life, I value this room. And I can't, I can't put the proper language on that to make it resonate in your heart. But I know for a fact that my my feelings, my opinions of this room is in a minority because I can see how people treat this room and the people in this room. And, and I get it. There's, there's been a lot of churchianity. However old you are, however long you've been involved in church, that's how long you've had churchianity slapping you upside the face, telling you to conform to its way. And as much as I love to tout all of the awesome things about Beloved Church, we ain't there yet either. We're the best church I ever went to. <laughs> and it's not because I'm the pastor. Like, it's, if I wasn't a pastor tomorrow, I'd be equally, maybe more committed to all the things and stuff because I would have less responsibilities. But this is my church. This isn't the church I pastor. This is my church. I'm a part of this church. I'm a body part of this church. Not even really that important of one. I'm totally okay with that. Some of you have more importance. I'd say this jokingly all the time. Everybody loves Pastor Ryan way more than me. I'm, sometimes I was a little jealous, but I get over it. Amen. I, used, I, I was once faster than him, so that, that helps me feel better. That was a lie. <laughs> I pick at, I pick on him about the sports stuff because I, in my head and in my heart, I can beat him at everything. <laughs> this is a good segue for us to get into talking about being a hero. Part of being a hero is we're going to have to be heroic to each other first. You got to be, if you remember way back when I was going through some of the definitions of, of being a hero, a courageous person, a brave person, fights and defeats personal fears. And you know that most people 
99.9% of people are not courageous or brave because they are completely submitted to their in servitude in slavery to fear. Fear of man, fear of money, fear of the future, fear of people's opinions, fear of even God in an inappropriate way. Fear of failure, They're, I mean, these are endless. See, Pastor Bob talked about it for a minute. And the majority of Christians, I'm talking about the world. We know the world's jacked up, sinner's sin, lost or lost, blind or blind, deaf or deaf. I'm talking to the body of Christ that a vast majority, way over 50, way over 60, I don't know what the number is and I don't want to put God in a box, but my experience all over the world ministering is that a vast majority of believers are under the control of fear. We sing about faith. We sing about being in love with God and God's love for us. And like, you know, Pastor Bob kind of set you all up, you know, what's the opposite of fear? And, and we've heard a lot of times during our Christianity, our churchianity, that the opposite of fear is faith. That's not true. The opposite of fear is love. Love casts out all fear. And faith works by love. You don't get faith without love. The fact that a majority of believers, that's what the Bible calls us, believers, are believing fear in today's world. If you don't believe me, go back two years and look at all the folks with the masks on. And I know that they tried to virtue signal and say, well, it's not for me, it's for grandma. Give me a break. You're either scared for you or you're scared for someone else. Either way, it's fear. I took so much shrapnel on social media over trying to take away the lie of the fear of the mass. People just blasted me saying, well, I'm not wearing it for me. I'm not scared. It's not fear, it's wisdom. I'm like, really? Why aren't you wearing it now? If it's wisdom to wear a mask, wear it, sleep in it, shower in it, swim in it. Some people do. Why is it wisdom at one moment and not wisdom at the other? It's fear. If we don't call things what they are, we will never have the opportunity to be set free. A courageous person, a brave person fights and defeats the fears that are attacking them personally. You can never be a hero until you're brave and courageous. A hero fights and defeats the fears that are affecting other people. Until I was until I embraced being brave and courageous because the Lord has called me to be that, there's no way that Kay could have expected me to be her knight in shining armor to come in and be her hero in any situation in her life. If I can't do it for me, I can't do it for her. Jesus told Deb, if you're not willing to die for Scott, how are you gonna die for the random person Whoever, 
And it's true, if you can't die for someone that you're in covenant with, and I, and I know that this might freak out some of you, but there's a covenant in this house. Amen. Some of you, that's cool, and some of you are like, uh-uh, I'm just a visitor. Okay. But there's a covenant in this house, and if you're not willing to die for people that you're in covenant with, you really think you're gonna die for your enemy? For a random stranger on the street? For God forbid that person at Walmart that you're, it's hard to look at? Those spandex are at the explosion point. <laughs> if we can't do the real, genuine, authentic thing in this room with these folks, there ain't nobody. There ain't nobody. And it's, so it starts here. Being brave and courageous is starting here. Being a hero is taking it out of here. I want you to be a hero. I want you to be a hero. People, this world is desperately short of heroes. And I believe that God's raising you to be one. Psalm 16.3, the scriptures say that the godly people in the land this is the voice of God. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. What an honor, what a joy to know that God has given us the ability to be his hero. <laughs> that, is, that is shocking and radical to me. This is one of those statements that you just like, wow, that's the wrong version. We need to change it to something else that doesn't say what that says. Okay, I want to please my father. I want to be courageous for my father. I want to be brave for my father, and I want to be a hero for my father. I don't know where I'm at on that journey, but I'm headed there. And I pray y'all come. The way that I'm going to be that hero is by embracing the mystery, the exposed truth that we learned through the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago, and we still ain't sorted it, but we're getting there. In Colossians 1.27, it's, this is how you become that hero, how you become brave, how you become courageous for your God. This is the mystery of how to do this. There's people in the Old Testament that did heroic things, did brave things, did courageous things. Follow me. I don't want to be a person that just does brave things. I don't want to just do courageous things. I don't even want to do heroic things. I want to be brave, be courageous, and be heroic. God did this because he wanted you Gentiles, and in, in my notes I got Gentiles crossed off and I put in beloved. We are the beloved. We are the ones that are greatly loved. Not beloved church, beloved people. We are the ones who are greatly loved by God. 
And he, he unfolded this mystery for us, beloved. And you might be thinking, well, it was for Paul. Huh? It was to Paul for you. To understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. You know, if you walked up to someone, I guess even in church, even when they got their fake church face on, you said, hey, I have something wonderful and glorious to give you. Would you like it? Yeah. <laughs> and then you say, Christ is in you. And they're going to be like, I'm in church, so I'm not going to slap you in the face. But in my head, I'm slapping you in the face. Because like, duh, we all know that. We know that to an extent. We even know that maybe in our brain. But it's one thing knowing it and another thing knowing it. Until that, you know, the, in Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 8, uh, Luke chapter, or Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 8, Jesus told the parable of the sower that sows the word. And he said that that, that word, that Jesus Christ, he is the sower, he is the gardener who sows the word of God. And that word that gets sown falls into four different types of hearts. Four different kinds of ground. There's stony ground, there's hard-packed ground, there's weedy ground, and then there's good ground. And I know that we're all like, well, I'm good ground. Okay, God bless you. If you're not bearing a hundredfold, he said that when it falls into good ground, it will bring forth a hundredfold. So if you're not bringing forth a hundredfold, maybe your ground ain't as awesome as you think it is. And I'm not bringing forth a hundredfold. Amen. Maybe you're better than me. God bless you. I'm not the target. <laughs> Christ is the target. And that word of God has to fall first on your ears, your eyes, which leads directly to your brain, which means the first place for the word of God to go to even get to your heart is your brain. God has no problem with you being rational and logical. He just wants you to be rational like him and logical like him. When those things fall in your brain and you actually understand it, if you, if you remember uh, in the Gospels, I think this is Luke chapter 22, I'm not totally sure, but the Lord after the resurrection showed up and he's standing in front of the 11. And they're literally like... They haven't figured it out. And, he, and it's, the scriptures say, and Jesus opened their mind so that they would comprehend that he was there in resurrected form. Man, think about that. Their brains rejected what they were physically, visually looking at. So first, the word of God has to get into your brain. And then at some point, it's, it takes root. And it becomes part of the way that you think. And eventually, those roots will go all the way down your spine, down your chest. 
and they'll start to dip into your heart. And once those roots get into your heart, they're starting to pull supernatural power. From your mind, you got willpower. You got mind power. And mind power is good and limited. Anybody in here ever gone on a diet? <laughs> it's the most participation I've ever gotten from any question I've ever asked. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, so don't do it. But I would say, okay, now raise your hand if you currently, if that diet you went on got you to that perfect weight and you've been that perfect weight now for 15 years. I get less fingers. <laughs> Amen. You know why? Because you did it by willpower. Willpower is good. Making changes in your life, especially ones that God says make these changes in your life, that's good. But if, only, if you only do it by willpower, you only have the strength of you. Have you ever let you down? Anybody in here? I have. <laughs> I've let me down a lot. In fact, I've let me down more than anybody's ever let me down. Amen. Willpower has the power of your will. Some of you are stronger in here. Some of you got stronger willpower. Some of you got less. And so maybe you get farther or get, like, I'm going to go on a 30-day fast. And some of you will get three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll put your face in a Big Mac. Oh, I couldn't make it. Some of you will get three days. Some of you will get 29 days. And then you're like, I'm going to die. We all have different strengths in our soul, and so we can, we can pull stuff off. But as long as you live, you try to live righteous by your willpower, you will always get to the end of you. You will always get to the end of your power. You'll always get to the end of your ability. And at that point, your failure will destroy you. And if you went 29 days and then you fail, that's what Jesus said, that when a large building falls, great is the destruction of that large building. A little shed falls, people are like, oh, your shed fell over. A skyscraper collapses. And this is where some of you, some of you are in here nodding at me because you know this is true. You've done that where you've gone, you know, six months or six years and you've got it. I, I, think, I, I think I own it. And then, bam. And you're like, how did I? Because either A, you built that building by willpower or B, after God helped you supernaturally build that building, you maintained it by willpower. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of ministry with addicts, and this is, I cannot tell you. I got kicked out of one of the ministries to addicts because I tried to convince them that they didn't have to be an addict anymore. I literally got kicked out of the ministry for going through Romans chapter 6, explaining to addicts that they no longer had to be an addict. They can be healed and not be an addict. Amen. And I got kicked out of the ministry because they said, there will always be addicts. I said, then what are we doing? What, what are we doing? 
If they're always going to be addicts, let's just buy them drugs. Why make them stop doing their addiction if they're going to be an addict? Because then eventually they're going to go back to their addiction. You can't get there. And they're going to destroy themselves. And if they go 10 years and then they get back into it, they're going to be a complete destruction. They're going to destroy their family. They're, going to destroy, they're just going to go wheels off. And so if they're just going to be addicts and they're always going to be addicts, why are we ministering to them? But if you can actually be born again, man, I know that this is radical thinking in, in, in modern churchianity and progressive churchianity. If you can actually be born again, if you can actually be someone that you weren't. I was an addict who failed constantly. And then Christ came and destroyed an addict at his cross. And then he offered me a life that was free from addiction. I was once lost. Now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see. I was a sinner. Now I'm a saint. Christ in you, the hope of his glory. This is the mystery that is going to turn us all into that hero that the world desperately needs, that your family needs, and that we, beloved church, need. A defining characteristic of a courageous or a brave person is their willingness to do the hard thing. And just saying it, I, I, had, that little, I had that little tweak right now because I lost a little courage. <laughs> I believe that this is right. I believe it's the time and I believe that you're the people. But I also have fear and trembling about this. Heroes do hard things. That's what they do. They do the hard things. I don't want to uncover too much, but this morning in the prayer circle, Ryan and Cinderella did a hard thing. A hard thing. That most Christians would never do. And I use never. That's a God word. I've been a Christian 46 years. In a Christian home for 48 going on in 49. I'm telling you. I have some experience with the modern progressive form of Christianity and what Ryan and Cinderella did in the prayer circle this morning. Most Christians would never do. Because it was real. It was embarrassing. It was transparent. It was hard. It was hard. 
They didn't have to do it. Many of those things that are hard, that the Lord prompts you to do, that he pricks your heart about, those hard things, the reason that we excuse them away and we don't do them is because we know if it doesn't get done, things will just go on. It's not like the whole universe is going to stop if I don't do the hard thing that God wants me to do. Kay's still going to be married to me. She's stuck with me. She's signed papers. <laughs> right? By law, she's got to live with me. My kids got to love me. They only got one of me. Some of you even, like, tolerate me. I, I mean, I guess he's pastor here. The hard thing... We have created the falsity in our own way of thinking that the hard thing doesn't necessarily have to be done. Let's do the medium thing. Or, like most people, let's just do the, e what's the easy way? Give me the shortcut, give me the easy way, give me the microwave, give me the McDonald's fast food, give me the easy, comfortable, I don't have to do a lot of work, I don't have to extend a lot of effort. It costs me the littlest amount of money, time, effort, energy. Give me the comfortable, easy thing that'll still get the job done. Give me the fake 99-cent version from China. That's what I really want. I don't want to spend the extra money and buy the extra thing and do the stuff. Because it's hard. What are people going to think when I'm transparent and open in front of them? What's it going to cost me? What if I go and, and confess my fault to someone? What if I tell someone that I sinned against them? What will it cost me? Maybe it'll cost me a relationship. Maybe it'll cost me my, my awesome popularity. Maybe it'll cost me a jail cell. It's coming to that day, y'all. There are preachers right now in jail. There's preachers in America in jail. You didn't even know it. I can give you names of them. I've written some of them. There are preachers in America in jail for the gospel. If it costs you a jail cell, will you do the right thing? If you're sitting here right now, of course you will, because you're hearing me preach on it. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You do know we lost a third of our church when we had to do the hard thing that might have put some people in jail. A third of the church, a third of the church, half the board, half the staff. Some of those people said, I'd take a bullet for you. But when it was rubber meets the road, poop or get off the pot. Those faces aren't in this crowd. And they'll never come back. You know why? Because the amount of humility that it would take to walk back in here. And some of them are destroyed. 
Some of them know that they're destroyed. And I'm going to get into some of these principles here in a minute. But the enemy doesn't just destroy you with like, you know, here's, here's some methamphetamines, you know, take some and overdose and die. No, he'll, he'll kill you slowly. His favorite way to kill, especially Christians, one of his favorite ways to kill Christians is strife. Because it's a slow, miserable, torturous death. And strife kills everybody else around you. Anybody that knows that stuff's going on, it gets them all. It gets, it's a whole circle. Satan like dances in hell when he gets believers, especially in the same church, into strife. When you're there, he's like, woohoo, victory. He don't even care if you're dead. He'd rather have you alive, confessing the name of Christ, and in strife destroying a church than dead. It, it accomplishes way more for his kingdom to have that going on. <laughs> Marriages, you know, the enemy doesn't have to directly go after children, just destroy a marriage. By default, you're destroying children. By default. I had a, 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 one of my managers when I ran restaurants was getting a divorce. And I knew some of the details about it. And I pulled him out to the side one day. We used to call them dumpster conversations because you'd pull them around out back by the dumpster. And I had a dumpster conversation with this dude. And I'm like, what in the crap are you doing? I'm getting divorced, and da, da 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 and I knew what it was. He had a girlfriend, and, you know, she was going to, which I never have understood the precept of a guy leaving a committed relationship in adultery to get into a committed relationship with the adulterer, and that adulterer thinks that that guy is now going to be in a committed relationship with the adulterer and is not going to go find the next... Are you following me? Yeah. I have never understood that concept. Never. <laughs> and I never will. And people do Jesus that way, just so you know. God used that terminology in the Old Testament a lot. You adulterers and adulteresses. And it was about spiritual things. Like we're always like, God, I love you. I will never cheat on you. But whoo, look at that. Hey, that's hot. Uh, but I'll be right back, Jesus. And I was, I was blasting this dude. <laughs> and he didn't even argue that it was wrong. He didn't, he didn't justify his activity other than this is what his heart wanted. This is the way my heart's leading me. And I said, bro... I got news for you. That ain't your God heart. That's your Satan heart. And you might want to deal with that. And he kept going on, and I finally said, you know what? Fine, whatever. You want to be a jerk, be a jerk. But he had children. And I said, here's what you don't have the right to do. You don't have the right to go chasing tail and destroying children. You want to chase tail? That's fine. You can chase all the tail you want before you got kids. After you got kids, your life's not your own. What, until we finally, praise Jesus, got the kids out of our house. <laughs> 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 Raised them up. 
in the way they should go and then made them go. But they, they love us. We invite them back to the house under our time. Here's when you can come. But now Kay and I can do some things that we didn't because when we had kids, we had responsibilities. We had a divine biblical responsibility to do things for our kids. I have a divine biblical responsibility to do things for Kay. I don't get to do what I want. I did do what I wanted and then I got married. It's the same precept. I did do what I wanted and then I got born again. Any, anybody in here? Because Any, that's the difference. You doing what you want, that's the road to hell. Straight to the pit. Straight there. Jesus comes along and says, hey, don't do what you want, do what I want. Okay. And then marriage comes along and says, hey, don't do what you want, do what she wants. Okay. And then she does this magical, glorious thing where she does what I want. And she's better at it. <laughs> Dang it. And then you come into, into Christian, authentic Christian life, and it's not, now I'm not going to do what I want in this room, now I'm going to do what you want. Those of you that are righteous. The Spirit of God on the inside of you is drawing what you need Amen. from me. Amen. Heroes do hard things. It's easy to just sign divorce papers. Let the state take X amount of dollars out of your check and just move on. Get on the prowl. Open up the dating night, dating websites. It's hard. It's hard to work through the terrible stuff. I committed adultery on Kay. You think that wasn't hard? <laughs> you, you think that Kay's just this beautiful, gracious little cloud hopping angel of a person that that gal's strong, tough. Satan tried to destroy her family, and she stood. And the scriptures say that if you resist the devil, he will flee. And he fled. And he fled right out of me. <laughs> Nobody does the hard thing because they want to. They do it because it's the right thing to do. This is, this is really important. The right thing to do is nearly always the hard thing. Nearly always. If you're facing two situations, two choices, two decisions, likely the hard one is the right one. Very likely. And you know what we choose? The weaker, the more effeminate, and the more left-wing society becomes, the less people there are who are willing and able to do the hard thing. Look around you. If there's one thing that this society points out is that nobody is willing to do the hard thing. It, just, it is just go with the flow, float downstream, Whatever culture tells you to do, whatever society tells you to do, whatever your boss tells you to do, whatever CNN tells you, just do it. Comply. Everything will be fine. If you take the jab and wear the mask and 
and we shut down for two weeks, then we'll all get back to life. We'll give you your life back. We'll be super, super gracious to you. We'll give you back the freedoms that we're taking from you if you just listen and do what we tell you to do. Man, if that is not the biggest trap that's ever been laid for humanity, I don't know what is. They don't have a right to take it, and they ain't never going to give it back. Ain't never. Godward. I learned something in Germany. Well, I learned lots of somethings. Here's, a, here's something I learned in Germany. Say it better. Have you heard, this is, this is a common thing, I've heard this thing probably a hundred times. Head down, walk fast, don't talk, avoid contact. Head down, walk fast, don't talk, avoid contact. People, it's literally, some people, it's the motto of their life. Head down, walk fast, don't talk, avoid contact. When I was in Germany, Kai, me and Kai were talking about something. He said, he said, you can tell which ones are still, that still have the effects of Nazism because believe it or not, even though it was 80 years ago, that stuff has had a ton. That entire society is still affected by Nazism because of how terrible, terrible it was. And there's people that are shameful and guilty about it. There's people that are still being drawn by it. There's this whole thing going on. And I know you'd think like, no way, I'm telling you. It's still there. And Kai said, you can tell who's under the effects of socialism and communism based upon this. And Kai said it. Kai said, if they have their head down, they walk fast, they don't talk, and they avoid contact, that's someone that's still under the shame of communism, Nazism. And I was like, this is America. There, you know how many guys? I see it more in guys than gals. You know how many guys, this is it? Just like, just let me stay in my little itty bitty tiny lane. Don't bother me, just let me. This is why so many people, when they came and they shut down society, this is why there was so much compliance. They're like, fine, whatever. Just leave me alone. What do I gotta do for you to just leave me alone? We'll do all this. Fine, I'll do all that. Just leave me alone. And then they don't leave you alone. Well, now what do you want? We'll do this too. Okay, fine, will you leave me alone? Yeah, I'll leave you alone. No, they won't. Head down, walk fast, don't talk. Void contact is a satanic activity that takes the heroism that God wants to have his people operate in. Don't get sucked into it, y'all. Head up. Be strong. Be brave. Be bold. Be courageous. Do mighty exploits for your God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. In the Berean it says, but understand this. This is the last letter of the Apostle Paul to his personal disciple. Timothy was the personal disciple of the Apostle Paul. Yep, they did discipleship one-on-one -on -one in the Bible. I sh I shocking. I'm the only church that I know that does what we do. And I, I have pastors, now I have pastors calling me from around the world asking us about it because it's such a unique thing. In fact, in two weeks, I'm sitting down with a guy for three hours because he wants to know how, how we get it done. And we ain't even got it done right. Like, we're just barely getting it done. Some of you, some, some of the people that are in discipleship, are like, yeah, you barely, you guys stink. <laughs> but understand this, says the Apostle Paul in the last letter to his most intimate personal disciple. 
This is heavy, heavy. Understand this. In the last days, terrible times will come. If you don't know that we're in the last days, we're going to have a healing service and we're going to pray God puts a brain in your head. We'll have it right back there. <laughs> but if you don't know that these are the end days, I don't know what to say to you. And here's the Apostle Paul saying to his personal disciple, bro, in the end times, it's going to get terrible. So for all of you that are waiting for rainbows, butterflies, and Jesus to come floating into your life where you can just drift down on, on Candy Lane, what's it, Candy, candy Cane Lane or whatever, it, sorry, it, you're just cannon fodder. The enemy's waiting for your sorry little naive butt. It's going to get terrible, y'all. Does that mean that it has to be terrible for you in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your health, in your family? No. It is going to get terrible. And we are supposed to be in an ark in the flood, right? Right? Come on now. I, I talk like this and I know I lose some people. Great, it's going to be terrible. Well, I'll just suck it up. I, I'm planning on terrible now. Thanks, Pastor. That's not the point. The point is, hey, there's going to be a flood, Noah. Wow, that's interesting. It hasn't even rained. Yep, there's going to be a flood. Okay, what do you want me to do? Build a boat. Okay. You know Noah didn't argue with God at all. Build a boat. Okay. Hey, it's going to get terrible, beloved. Okay. What should you do? Build a boat. Build a boat where you can go in and be safe inside the boat while it's terrible. Oh, come on now. The, uh, the NASB says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times. So one adjective is terrible, one adjective is difficult. You know what difficult is? Hard. <laughs> Hard. So if you're going to survive and be successful in difficult times, you're going to have to be willing to do difficult things. <laughs> Did I lose anybody with this? You're going to have to do hard things to survive hard times. So embrace the fact that Christ on the inside of you is raising you to be a hero because we've not yet seen the hard, the terrible that the enemy has planned for this world. And I'm not trying to give him credence I'm saying that the enemy is really good at deceiving people and there's a bunch of people willing to be deceived. We call them politicians. We call, there's lots of people. Doctors. Yep. Amen. Sometimes I don't even tell people I got a doctorate. I'm like, I don't want people because they'll just... It's all, you know, it used to be back in the day, you got a doctorate? Wow. You're special. Now it's like, you got a doctorate? You're stupid. You're the one telling us to take the jab that's, oh, praise God. <laughs> King James Bible, King James. <laughs> this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous. There's an adjective you don't use every day, perilous. What's the weather like out there, honey? Perilous. <laughs> Guess you better be a hero. Amen. Here's a quote from 
Zimbardo and Franco, which are heroism researchers. <laughs> Did you know? I missed my calling. <laughs> if you need a copy of these notes, they're back there by Cinderella at the sound booth. Heroes have two essential qualities that set them apart from non-heroes. Follow. They live by their values and they're willing to endure personal risk to protect those values. If I told you to write down five people that you personally know that do that, you'd be hard pressed. Their values and personal beliefs give them the courage and the resolve to endure risk and even danger in order to adhere to those principles. You know, when you are actually a person who believes that your identity is hero, and you've already, you've already understood the premise that heroes do hard things, when hard things come, they're not hard to you. You might have missed that. That could have flew right by you. But some of the things that I do, that Kay and I were walking the other day, and we were talking about, we were talking shop, ministry and stuff. And um, she, was, she was kind of bemoaning somebody that we know that was being basically just destroyed because they weren't, they were making bad choices in their life. Most, 99% of the destruction you experience in your life is by your own personal choices. And she was lamenting this person, and, and she's like, if they would just do, do the right thing and make, you know, do the difficult choices. And she goes, and she turns right in the middle of that while we're walking, and she goes, this is one of the things I love about you. This is one of the things I value about you. You do the hard things. You'll have the difficult conversations. You'll do the hard things. And she said it, and I know she was saying it from love and from appreciation and all that, but when she said it, I actually had conviction hit me, like, I don't do all the hard things. I don't do enough. And yet to her, I do, one of the greatest qualities about me to her that she loves is that I'm willing to do the hard things, have the hard conversations, and I know I'm not doing enough. You know what that means? Some of the things that other people recognize that I do that they would consider to be hard things, I don't consider them to be hard things. What that means is if when you start getting comfortable by the comfort of the Holy Spirit, when you start getting comfortable doing the hard things, they're not as hard as they used to be. Right. You get two, three, four years into a workout routine, it's just what you do. Right. You get 28 years into being in a covenant, I'm married. Kay's my bride, I'm her groom. We don't have to fight the temptation of other people and stuffing things and cheating and hiding money. and do What somebody else would consider to be hard, we consider Tuesday. Number one hard thing. Forgiveness and reconciliation. One of the hardest things you'll ever do is give forgiveness and seek reconciliation. This is why it's not done. There are people in this room, as I speak, that are in strife and contention 
right now. Because it's easy to just stay there. It's hard. It is hard to go to someone, tell them you were wrong, admit your fault, humble yourself before them, ask for forgiveness. And the amazing thing is, is I believe with near certainty that we actually have an environment that if you did that, that you would receive from that person the forgiveness you desire. And we still won't do it. Strife is so easy. Forgiveness is so hard. Being estranged, being in contention with a person is so easy. Being reconciled is so hard. Jesus died doing the hardest thing, forgiveness and reconciliation. But he was willing to die for it because it was the right thing, and we needed it. And then we're going to withhold that from other people, even our own spouses sometimes. In the Greek, the word for forgiveness is simply the release of a debt. The release of a debt. That's what that means. The kid offended me. He did terrible things to me. He got mad at me for telling him what to do as his pastor, and so he went out and slashed my tires. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, I'm telling you, the kid. That guy. That's right, we'll just, we'll kill him with love. And leaves a note on there, stupid pastor, hate you, take that with your tires, signed, the kid. <laughs> right, because he's bold. So I get the note, oh, kid. What's up with this? So then he comes to worship practice like there ain't nothing up. And I walk in with the note. And I say, kid, I love you. I've already bought the tires. And I keep no record of wrong. I've released the debt. You don't owe me anything. If he tries to give me money on Sunday, I can't take it. There's no debt. This is how you know if you've actually forgiven someone. Do they still owe you? And I'm talking to a room filled with Christians, okay? This is real. Do they still owe you? If they still owe you, you have not forgiven. Praise God, we don't owe Jesus. His blood was enough. I don't know what 
that person that you might have, you might, I'm, I'm saying some of you could be free from this, but some of you in here, you might have some debt that's owed to you by another person because of what they've done, because of what they've said, because of what they've taken from you. And you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can forgive that. You don't know what they did. Here's what I'll answer with. You don't know what you did to Jesus. If you knew what you did to Jesus and you knew that he released your debt, you wouldn't struggle with what that person did to you to release them from the debt. Now, nearly always I'll get someone after saying things like this that will come up and say, so I should just, you know, so-and-so sexually assaulted me when I was five. My uncle sexually assaulted me when I was five. So I said, I just go run over to his house and start hanging out with him every night? Nope. The fact that I even have to make sure that I circle these wagons just shows the ignorance of what society has done to the rational, logical way that God would want us to think. No, you don't. You don't go put yourself in harm's way and call it Jesus. Because <laughs> that person probably still needs to be dealt with. If someone came in here and they were a, convict, a convicted child uh, molester or whatever, they are gonna, we are gonna love them. They're gonna have a purple chair with their name on it. They can come here the rest of their life. I, you're not even gonna know it. I, I won't even tell you. You'll never know, you could be sitting next to someone right now. You'd never know it. And they're not gonna work in a kid's church. After 50 years of being perfect, they're not gonna work in a kid's church. And I'm not mean, I'm not angry, I'm not upset. You know these preachers that, and I won't name names, but there's been big, huge situations like this. Where these preachers, 10 years into ministry, they get all high and mighty on themselves. They got money. They're good looking in their own eyes and in the eyes of the secretary of the church. And so the preacher, because he's pretty much untouchable at this point, right? He's got three, 400 people in his church. Money's flowing, good. Building buildings. He's on, he's on he's a YouTube star. Nobody would know. So him and the secretary figure out how to keep the office to themselves and help themselves to some money. And then they get caught. I could name names. Some of you have gone to churches in this region that this has happened to. And then they repent, they cry. They usually get on, on camera and all their makeup is streaking while they're crying. I can't believe I did this. Violated God and man and church and please forgive me. And we're a very forgiving society for the most part for famous people. 
Bill Clinton did what Bill Clinton did. You know what everybody said? Well, yeah, I mean, he just, all the presidents did it. Right, so that makes it okay. It's okay, because they all did it. No, it's not okay. <laughs> it's wrong. Wrong is wrong. I don't care who you are, president or preacher. And invariably, inevitably, that pastor will go take a sabbatical. The church will pay him. He'll go take a sabbatical six months or a year. They'll send him off to marriage camp where him and his wife stare in each other's eyes and fall back in love again. And he's, I'm so sorry that I cheated with the secretary and stole the money. And then a year later, he'll come back and the church will say, all right, awesome, come on up. Here's your pulpit. We've been keeping her warm for you, buddy. And he'll stand up there and preach the oracles of God. And all the little, and all the little sheep will say, amen. It's not okay. If you violated that trust with God and people, you don't get it back. You don't get it back. Does that mean that he doesn't get to do ministry ever again? No, he can do ministry. Get a YouTube ministry. Those people are famous right now. <laughs> you know why you can be famous on YouTube as a preacher and it's harder to actually be a pastor and actually have real people come to your church? You know why? Because when you're a preacher on YouTube, there's no accountability. All you got to do is look good for 50 minutes on YouTube and say some really cool stuff. They don't care. You could be living like Satan. But as long as your YouTube's awesome, hate it. I do. I hate it because there's no accountability. Paul wouldn't have been a YouTube preacher. He lived among them. Part of his letters, he said, you know the manner of lifestyle that I lived among you. And he used it for verification that the gospel that he preached was real. That don't happen on that camera. Am I saying it's wrong? No. Teach online. Give revelations online. Give prophetic words to people that you'll never meet. You don't know their name. Somehow that works. Those people are famous. This is hard. Amen. If you've ever done this, if you ever had everybody in a room size you up, measure you up, and look at all your flaws, you're like, oh, I know what Steve did last week. Okay. Forgiveness. Releasing the debt when they really do owe you. So then what's reconciliation? Forgiveness is one thing. Releasing the debt, what's reconciliation? Reconciliation involves a change in the relationship, specifically between God and man, or between man and man. A change in the relationship. That's reconciliation. We were at odds. I really couldn't be around you. We really couldn't talk because there was this goo. Reconciliation is now there's no goo. Amen. That's my doctorate speaking right there. <laughs> I, should, I should be way more eloquent at this stage in my ministry. And I'm not. Praise God. Reconciliation means there's an actual legitimate change in the relationship. We were estranged to God. 
Jesus reconciled us unto God. There was a change. The way David had relationship with God and the way that we can have relationship with God has changed. That's reconciliation. That's hard. You know what that takes? Time. Raw authenticity. You hurt me. I know. I'm sorry. It still kind of hurts a little bit. I know. I'm sorry. I'm going to make it right. It's going to take me years if necessary. But I'm going to make it right. Reconciliation is hard. This is why nobody does it. It assumes that there's been a breakdown in the relationship. But now there has been a change from a state of enmity and fragmentation to one of harmony and fellowship. I'm a, I'm a people watcher. I'm sure you guys aren't surprised by that. And so I, my favorite place is airports, SK. Like, don't talk to me. <laughs> oh my God, look at her. <laughs> I, I just, because you learn so much by watching how a person lives, how they walk, how they talk, how they, how they interact, how they, there's so much to learn about people watching that. So I love watching people because it, it, it's the fruit on their tree most often. And, and I, I want to know people. I want to learn. I want to be able to offer help or, or correction. <laughs> and we have kononias often. You know, today we're going to have a kononia. And now I'm, now I'm in a mess. Now everybody's going to know. Dang it. Anyway, I'm going to watch. And you, there, invariably, there's going to be that person in the corner. They're going to be, you know, kind of doing their own thing. You know, I don't want to, you know, talk to, hey. <laughs> and, and you, and I look at it, it's a spiritual porcupine. Like, hey, you're really pretty. I like your colors. Oh, look, you got a big meal. I'm not coming anywhere near you because you got all the prickles. I'm going to get stabbed with one of those prickles. Then it's going to get jammed in me, and it's going to, you know. And they, we do that on purpose. Hey, do you see me? Hey, you see all my prickles? Yep, noticed them. Thanks. Yep. Hey, love you. Love you, brother. Praying for you. You know. Hey, don't. Please don't. Don't pray for you. Don't pray for me because you got prickles. <laughs> in fellowship is when you'll see it. If, you, if it's hard to be real and authentic and raw and, and honest and transparent and in fellowship, then reconciliation is not something that you desire. You don't desire to do the hard thing, to do the labor, to do the work that it takes to be real. But here's what I want to encourage you with. I have some of these relationships, not many. You, don't, you can't have tons of these. But I have some of these relationships. And I'd rather die than lose them. Yeah. 
They're that valuable. They're that good. And most people, most people, even in Christianity, most people may never experience it. And it breaks my heart. Jim told me, my, my stepdad that passed away, called him father. Some of you have known him, met him. When we, were, when we were still the dorks, when I was 13 and he was trying to take the dork out of me and out of my little brother, he would call us the dorks. And we'd sit down you know, once or twice a week and we'd have family dinner and he'd say, okay, dorks. <laughs> he would, and we just accepted it. We were the dorks. Still kind of dorky. And he told us one time in, in one of the authentic moments, most of the time he just kind of beat us up over being stupid, which we needed it because we were super stupid. But one time in this time of authenticity, he said, you know, if you get to the end of your life and you have one real friend, consider yourself blessed. You get to the end of your life and you have one real friend. Consider yourself blessed. And I, at that time, was like probably 14. I had like 50 awesome friends, right? Bought me cigarettes, took me drinking. Some of the girls let me kiss them, right? I, I'm like, what do you know, old man? You don't know nothing. I got all the friends in the world. In fact, some of them are my BFFs. Because we said so on the notebook. And then I grew my first chest hair. And I realized how wise James Haight was. Because a real friend, a real friend, is as rare as hen's teeth. And then I learned the concept, if you want to have friends, Proverbs says, if you want to have friends, show yourself friendly. And, it, and friend is a covenant term, just so you guys know. It's an actual covenant term. It's not like, hey, you're my friend. No, it's not like Facebook, someone answered your, give me a break. It's an actual covenant term. It means I'm in relationship with you and we cut where blood flows. I won't leave you. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's a covenant term. He won't leave you. He bled and died for you. He can't leave you. Friend actually is a covenant term. And I can tell you right now, as a 48-year, 49, 48, 48, thank you. As a 48-year-old man, I can tell you right now that I have probably a dozen real Most of them are in this room. They will never, I will be 120 with false teeth. Why are you cursing yourself? I, I don't know. <laughs> Take it back. I took it back. And those people will be playing cribbage with me. And we'll be talking about all the great stuff that God did. They'll be there. And I couldn't have said that 10 years ago. 
When Kay and I moved here, we were, we were alone, alone. It's supposed to be the normal thing in the kingdom, and it's not. I have learned in life and ministry that the way to know who is right in a conflict is to determine which one is seeking reconciliation or trying to grow and change. I've had couples come to me, marriage, uh, doing marriage stuff all the time, and you got one person that's like, well, they da 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 and it all sounds, so all sounds real. And the other person sitting there like, yeah, I've failed. But I, I, I'm the one that wanted us to be here so we could get this right. I know immediately that the person that's in the wrong in that relationship is the one that's not trying to do the reconciliation. If the person that's seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation is always the one that is doing the godly thing. They might... They might have been more at failure. They might have been more at fault. I'm not saying that it's, it's a 50. I'm saying that I know that when I'm sitting with two people that are not in proper fellowship, proper relationship, I know which one is the godly one based upon who's actually seeking the forgiveness and the reconciliation. Be that person. Admit you're wrong is the necessary first step. Necessary. Necessary. I wished, well, I don't, not any, I take that back. The day that I had my encounter with Jesus, when I put my life back on track, I came running home, and I threw myself on the kitchen floor in front of my wife in the most broken, authentic way that I knew how. And I admitted how wrong I was as a broken man in that moment. She could have easily stomped me to death in my broken solar state in that moment. And she lifted me up. The first necessary step for forgiveness and reconciliation is to admit you were wrong. That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. Because I ain't never wrong. I do everything right all the time, and it's always you. Proverbs 28, 13. Some of you are wondering if I was going to use the Bible. <laughs> if you don't confess your sins, you will be a failure. You can... You can roll that up any way you want it, jam it in your pipe, but when you smoke it, it's turning black. <laughs> if you don't confess your sins, you will be a failure. Well, I'm in the new covenant. This is new, this is new Christianity. This is Christianity 2023. I don't have to admit nothing. Jesus done paid for everything. I can act like a fool all I want. I don't have to tell nobody. I don't even have to confess to God. He knows. Well, God bless you. I'm glad that you can just do everything wrong and for some reason, for you, you're the only person in all of human history that has no accountability and no responsibility for your actions. So you think. If you don't confess your sins, you will be a failure. But God 
will be merciful if you confess your sins and give them up. Confess and give them up. Amplified says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but whoever, anybody in here a whoever? Whoever confesses and turns away from his sins will find compassion and mercy. Wouldn't you rather have compassion and mercy? You know, mercy requires you to admit you were wrong. How many are like, mercy, God, I need mercy. God's like, hey, I got plenty for you. You got to admit you're wrong, because otherwise mercy can't go, because if you're right, you don't get the mercy. James 5, 13 through 16, in the BSB, verse 13. Is any one of you suffering? <laughs> Depending on the church. Yep. <laughs> he should pray. Well, I tried that. It didn't work. Uh, maybe you should try it again because the Bible says if you're suffering and you pray, that's the solution. Is anyone cheerful? Not around here. We've been sucking lemons all week. <laughs> he should sing praises. If you're cheerful, praises naturally comes out of you. Next verse, please, says. Is any one of you sick? I know not in here because we're the healthiest, wealthiest, and most influential church in the region. And we're all walking in divine health. But if you ever bump into someone who's actually sick, you know what you should tell them? They should go home, get in their prayer closet, take communion, and ask Jesus to heal them. And if you cry a little bit, Jesus will be more likely to answer you. Because he, he's really moved. When you, when you cry, like he's way more likely to do stuff for you. Did you know that? And if that don't work, if you get 100 people on your prayer chain and cry... Uh, He'll make a new universe for you. <laughs> Is anyone sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray. Well, I ain't got a church. Hey, you know, Satan knows this verse. Hey, anybody? Is anybody shocked that Satan knows the Bible? Satan knows this verse. Why do you think the first thing that happens when someone gets offended at church is they quit the church? Because they ain't got access to this now. Yep. Call the elders of the church. I ain't got no church. Call your YouTube preacher. <laughs> See how that goes. Call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil. You know you got to do that in person? Why do you think they tried to shut down the church for two years? So we couldn't anoint people with oil. We were anointing people with oil. Amen. Amen. You got to do that in person. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that Bible, it's antiquated. We ain't got to do all that stuff anymore. Now we can just send them an email with oil on it. Okay. <laughs> In the name of the Lord. Verse 16, or verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he sin, he will be forgiven. You know, this is, this is the first book of the New Testament. James was the first epistle written in the New Testament. Every Christian knew that this was the first doctrines that were in the body of Christ. This is what they did. Guess what we don't do no more? 
You know, there's tons of people, I believe, that are believers, Christians, that are sick because they don't do this. Let me, let me take you even deeper, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to God quietly where nobody knows. Let, let, me, let me put an extra wrinkle in your cerebral cortex. There's nowhere in the entire New Testament, zero, places in the New Testament where it says confess your sins to God. Zero. None. All those verses that you got jammed in your head, you better go confess your sins to God. That's all Old Testament. Jesus done dealt with your sins. Our confession of our sins, remember sin means to miss the mark. Our confessions with our missing of the mark are to each other. God already knows. And he already paid for it. But this needs to be dealt with. I'm in relationship with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But I'm only in relationship to Craigers based upon our commitment to one another, our transparency with one another, our confession one another when we fault and fail and hurt one another. I'm only in relationship to the depth that Kay and I are working on our relationship in, authentic, in authenticity, in, in sincerity, in transparency, in confession. And if I had everybody in this church raise your hand, if you've had someone come up to you in a church environment, and some of you have been Christians for 40, 50 years, and if I said, raise your hand, if somebody's walked up to you in a church environment and said, I confess my fault to you that I failed you, I said this, I did this, I gossiped about you, I did wrong things to you, about you, behind your back. If I said, everybody in here, raise your hand, if that's actually happened to you outside of Beloved, I'd get three. We don't do that. I don't have to confess to nobody. God knows. He done dealt with it. I ain't got to go back to that person and deal with them. And that's why you're sick. Maybe not physically sick. I'm not saying everybody in here that if you got a physical sickness, this is it. But there's sickness. Dis-ease. Dis-ease, because we won't do that. You hear that quiet? That's the verification. So you want me to actually walk up to someone? You want me to be pastor? Like, I'm the man of God, right? I mean, I invented holiness. <laughs> I'm Ryan, young, talented, Awesome, beautiful family, everybody loves me, you, right? Yeah. And then walks into the prayer circle and says, I'm sorry. To a whole group of people, half of which weren't even affected by what he did. And says, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I made a mistake. And there was tears in that circle. And there was reality in that circle. And there was healing in that circle. 
There was relationship in that circle. There was honor in that circle. There was maturity in that circle. And many people in Christianity will never experience any of those things because they'll never do the hard thing. And then Cinderella and me live open, naked, and unashamed in front of the people that God wants you to be with. 1 John 1, 9, Mark 1, 5, and Matthew 3, 6 are all verses in the Bible in the New Testament that says that they were confessing and repenting, but none of them says they were confessing to God. And in fact, due to the fact that they wrote it down in those gospels and in those passages means that someone heard them likely because they were confessing to one another. Confess your faults to one another. You know why? When I tell Ben that I got issues, I just gave him permission to help me with my issues. Amen. Now it's about to get real. Because I can hide all the stuff. You know how good we are at hiding stuff? We're awesome at it. Awesome. We're like professionals. It takes private eyes to figure out whether you're cheating. Right? We hire them all the time. We can keep, we can get, go, I went into a, oh Lord. <laughs> I don't know if I should say it. Well, it wasn't here, so we'll do that. This is in Texas. Everything bad happens in Texas. None of you guys. I went into this person's, <laughs> except for my children. They, that was the two good things that happened. <laughs> you're, you're my favorite daughter. I, I love you the most. <laughs> and I, I was, we were at these, these self-righteous, I can totally say this. Nobody will figure out who this is. We were at these self-righteous Christian's house and da-da-da-da. And, and I was talking to him about diet and exercise and stuff like this and um, this gal was fat. We're going to deal with that next week. I'm going to use the term fat and you guys are going to be ready because I opened up the, and this gal was fat and she's like, I just don't know. I just, I heard this first time I ever heard this statement. I just look at food and I gain weight. I was like, <laughs> I was younger back then. I'm like, that's a thing? Like fat osmosis? I got scared in that. I'm not looking no more. It's like, it's like porn or something, like food porn. Oh, oh I'm fat. <laughs> and anyway, this lady said that, and I was like, well, I don't know. And she's like, I got a thyroid, you know, like all the stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I still believe that God, you know, and I just kind of was low key. And I did something. I opened this lady's pantry. And it wasn't the looking that made her fat. She lied right to my face. And, and I know that there, there's people that do that. You drive down the road, cheating on your, on your food, eating the stuff you shouldn't eat, do, buying the stuff you shouldn't buy, saying the things you should never say, thinking the things you should never think, and nobody will ever know because you're looking right at, I love you, brother. I know. And I'm thinking about stabbing you in the face right now while I'm saying, I love you. 
You know what I want? I want us. I want the words of my mouth and the convictions of my heart in my relationship with you to be perfectly matched. And if that means we might need to be quiet, maybe we need to be quiet and work our hearts out. But I want an environment where there's a bunch of heroes that are doing the number one hard thing, which is forgiveness and reconciliation. Will you help me be a part of that, that unique church? Please rise, I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.